You are now listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast. You would think we would have learned by now what to expect from L.A. Kings hockey. In the last two weeks, they've made us curse, cry, break things, gasp, laugh, weep openly with joy. It must be November. This is Caro. How are you tonight, Vardy? I'm good, man. I'm good. Happy to, uh, happy to record on a happy note, so to speak, because... With how things happier started, note? happier note, because with how things started uh, prior to this week, I thought it was going to be a very dour episode, so to speak, not just from the King's perspective, just a, an NHL overall perspective, just a lot of bad stuff happening. But uh, the last few games have certainly brightened my mood. I know, I know I can probably say the same for you. Yes specifically that St. Louis game, the last St. Louis game, would they've already wrapped up their season series. On my have they really? Third. They have. I, I'm pretty sure that's it. That's it? Wow. All right. Yeah. It, it's been like the intro, obviously, we, the intros are usually in jest, but it really has been like that with this team. And I feel like it's been like that with this team for a couple of years now where it's been a lot of ups and downs, a lot of darkness, a lot of light. And I don't foresee it changing, to tell you the truth, this entire season. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think some of that is is certainly uh, growing pains, uh, some adjustment perhaps with new teammates, etc. Some younger guys now being injected into the lineup somewhat forcibly and perhaps earlier than than management wanted them to be and for longer than they expected them to be, certainly. Uh I, I, I honestly, I just feel like so much has happened in the last two and a half weeks, even if you focus purely, <clears throat> excuse me, even if you focus purely on the Kings, um, I think we should just get right into it. I think uh, last time that we recorded, they had only played two games. They had uh, shellacked Vegas, who is now looking like a shell of its former self, although we'll get into some of the things that they decided to do. Um, and then the second game, they lost to Minnesota 3-2. Certainly didn't look as good in that game, although it ended up being a one-goal loss. Now, since that time, they have played eight games and certainly a lot of up and down. Uh, The road trip did not go well, uh, starting off, I believe, in Nashville with a 2-1 loss. I think that's where, I mean, even in our first episode, it was only two games, but we were still kind of down and that's totally on brand for us. That's why everyone listens to us. That's right. <laughs> you want a happy, you want a happy podcast. I don't know. <laughs> you might want to follow a different. There team. are plenty of happy Kings podcasts. <laughs> Believe me, just do a search, and you'll find them. And that's cool too. And we, I think we're happy when it warrants it. But I think you, astutely, were reserved in your joy. I was more positive after the second game, but I think you were far more apprehensive about where the team was uh and and i think you know for a short period of time you were bang on i think you're still right and i think the issues that we talked about in our first episode that we were worried about are still very much there but there is positive momentum with the team i think that's i think we could both agree on that whether it be 
because of the young players like you mentioned whether it be the kind of narratives you can pull out of these games with all the injuries specifically to Dowdy and Walker mm-hmm. uh, with the COVID issues now looming over the team. I think the key word is that the Kings are showing something, some kind of jam, some kind of fight. And you like to see that. And I think the Nashville game was the game that frustrated me the most because that's, mm-hmm. that's a game you have to win. In my opinion, I think they've played great teams. I think even in, you know, most of their losses, they've played pretty tough opponents for the most part. Uh, opponents where if you, you know, told me before the season, the Kings are gonna, probably going to drop a few games to these teams, I would be like, that makes sense that they would drop. But that Nashville game really, really bothered me because they should not be losing to the Nashville Predators, even though historically the Kings have not been good in that building. And it's a tough building to play in. I think anyone will tell you that, like, the crowd definitely shows up for the Predators games. It makes it difficult. But I agree with you. Um, one of the themes that traditionally, maybe not the last couple of seasons, but I feel like in the past has been a hallmark of Kings hockey in this modern era has been when they carried a lead into the third period, they were able to put teams away. And it's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while. That's that. But, that's the old core. It is. It is. But I, I still think that any NHL team worth its salt that is going to make progress, that is going to, you know, climb the standings and and make serious playoff pushes, that has to be something that they're capable of doing is carry a lead into the third and keep it. You know, most of the time keep it. Now I'm not I'm not asking for those records of what they used to be back in the Daryl days where it, there were some ridiculous like 63 and two or something silly like that if if they had a lead into the third. But I think that was something that really frustrated me. And it started with that Nashville game. I mean, granted it wasn't much of a lead. It was one zero, but they, they gave up that lead and they ended up losing two one um, (laughs) to, to two guys who I know you love to hate in Matt Duchesne, (laughs) you know, and, uh, and I think Ryan Johansson had a pretty good game, even though he didn't score. Uh, but as soon as Matt Duchesne scored, I could, I could almost, I could almost feel the hatred bubbling in you. You know, um, a lot of the things in hockey that cause me great ire are doing well right now. So yeah, so we'll, you know, that draw my ire, I should say. So we'll talk about those things. But yeah, I mean, I don't like that team. I don't like those players. I think. With the additions the Kings had made, and, and you, you could remind me because I can't remember when exactly Dowdy got hurt, but I believe he was – the Kings were okay in that game. Yes, Dowdy, I believe, got hurt in uh, Dallas. Okay, so when you have your decor short up, when you have Andre Kopitar, the best defensive center, or definitely the best defensive center in Kings history, one of the top five probably in hockey – and you acquire Philip Deneau, who is supposed to be that shutdown guy, you got to hold on to leads. I mean, that's, you're now built to hold on to leads. I think the most frustrating aspect of that game was that the Kings tried too hard to just win that game one nothing. I know that might be counterintuitive to what I just said, or might go against what I just said, but I felt during that road trip, the Kings were laying back too much anytime they had a lead. And I think it was mm-hmm. quite a few times they scored first and they just 
it seemed like it, they didn't want to press and they were fine just sitting back, playing a 1-3-1 and waiting for a counterattack opportunity. And, and and to a certain extent, there's a time and a place in a game where that's appropriate. But I understand what you're saying because they scored in the first against Nashville and to not try to press the issue, to not try to like really widen that gap early on, that's that's a bad move in my opinion. I think you just don't have, even though the personnel I just listed maybe suggests that you have it, I don't think you have the experience to lock a game down yet. Mm-hmm. I think this is still a young team. I think there is a lot of guys who, you know, have to learn how to play that style with a lead. It takes a lot of work. It's a lot of heavy yeah. lifting. And I just maybe the roster is not there yet. The veterans can certainly do it, but I don't know. I just don't like the strategy as a whole. I think the new mm-hmm. NHL, which is kind of a cliche now because I feel like every year it's a new NHL, but the modern day NHL, I don't think it, that kind of play is going to benefit a team. I think mm-hmm. it's all about putting the pressure on, I think attacking, coming in waves and playing the way that got you that quote unquote lead or got you where you felt you were in a good position. I think that's kind of the way to go. Yeah. And sometimes I still get frustrated that the Kings, the Kings do seem content with laying back and protecting the lead versus protecting the lead by possessing the puck and attacking, Mm -hmm. which is the best way to protect the lead in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, we may have seen a little bit of that in the more recent St. Louis game too, which is how they ended up going overtime. But we'll we'll get to that a little bit too. So following that Nashville game, they go into Dallas, and another game that they end up losing. Um, Dallas scores in the third, late in the third, and then we lose it in overtime. Um, again, I I find this to be a frustrating loss as well. But I'm willing to. I'm willing to give it a pass because of the other circumstances of that game, which is Dowdy clearly being injured for an extended period of time. And it was one of those injuries that I think, you know, you watch the video and you immediately, you immediately know that like, okay, this is not a, he's going to be back next game kind of situation. You know, the way he came off the ice, I think that takes a lot out of your team, especially if it's a guy like Drew, who's, traditionally an iron man like he plays through everything he's a minute munching defenseman and i think that takes the wind out of your sails and that put dallas in a position where they were able to come back and and win in overtime so that one i'm willing to give it a pass to and then maybe even the following night going directly into st louis they just they look like they had nothing and obviously the score reflects that as well losing 7-3 worst loss of the season thus far um yeah. So maybe a little bit emotionally drained coming off of a couple games like that where bad things are happening to you and your team, you know? Yeah, and and the Kings specifically against Dallas, I thought deserved to win. They did. 100% they did. I think it just the shots yeah. were 45 to 23. Yep. Uh at 5 on 5 it was 26 to 10. I think every Every metric these days, every fancy stat that tells you that a team is dominating another team, if you look at it, you would think the Kings dominated the game. But again, I just, the urgency, the something, there is no, you know, 
percentage for urgency. There's no statistic yeah. for urgency. I, I still felt at times in that game kind of dipped at inopportune times. And third period, Dallas ties it overtime. They win it. So, yeah, it, it was still it, – it didn't feel good despite despite how well the Kings performed in terms of possession. So, yeah, I, I think, again, the problems that, that I was noticing primarily in those two games was the lack of finish, right? Like if whenever I see these teams that just generate a lot of shots, but they're not scoring a lot, I, I, I always start getting into this idea of like, is it a lack of talent, right? Like a, like a heavy shot mentality is something that, I feel like a coach instills in a team when they know that I don't have that many individually talented or even as a line talented guys who can, who can wheel and deal, be, get, get creative out there. And so they, they push this like pucks on net, pucks on net, kind of back to basics, if you will, hockey, whenever they get the sense that they don't have enough talent on their team. And I don't, I'm not saying that's incorrect either because I don't, there aren't that many finishers on the Kings, quite frankly. You know, yes, Kopitar will get his 20, 30 goals, but I never look at Kopi as like a finisher. I don't look at Kopi as a guy that like, if I need a goal, this is the guy who's going to get it. And I think that's something the Kings have lacked for extended periods of time. And that was my frustration in the in, in that period of games was that, you know, the, the shot volume was there, the possession metrics were there, but there's just no one who can actually put a puck past the goalie. That's And that was something that I feel like they've been lacking for a long time. Yeah, agreed. I mean, the final tally says the Kings had more high-danger chances than St. Louis did in that 7-3 blowout. Right, right. Um, so kind of the, the proof is in the pudding there with that. Right. And, and, yeah, I think I suspect that won't be the last time we talk about finishing or the problems with not having a finisher for this team because right now the depth is kind of showing up a little bit in the last few games. Mm-hmm. Setting getting goals from other lines, which is great. Obviously, Arvidsson's out, Velarde's out, and so goals are coming from others, which is encouraging, but I still foresee some possible issues there. Um, Arthur Kaliev has been great in terms of his offensive abilities. He's got a lot to learn elsewhere, but Mm -hmm. do you really want to look at a kid like him to be your primary finisher? Yeah. You know, on this team, Mm, I don't know. Yeah. But but on to happier things, I guess the the Kings get blown out by St. Louis seven to three. Um, They, get blown out in a much on a much smaller scale next game three to nothing right and i think that's the game they lose walker and yes um to a torn acl with him and peron get tangled up and peron drops like a figure four <laughs> something or another on his leg and it was just immediate another one of those immediate injuries that you know like okay this is yeah. this is not good and actually even though that score is only three nothing i thought this was i thought the blues controlled the game yeah the entire way i really did i thought and they're a good team man they're they're a good team like you got to give credit where it's due it's not just the kings underperforming sure. it's, a, it's a good team performing well it's just funny that when you look at the two score lines you would think 
the seven three game is where it was all blues, but right. It's it was actually this one, and this one was this one was pretty frustrating too. Obviously, any loss is frustrating, but this one right. was particularly sleepy. The, the Kings lacked fire in this one. It was the end of a four game road trip. They were playing three games in four nights, so on and so forth. Um, right. But then they go home. And and they drop one to Winnipeg. I'm high on Winnipeg, so I'm not. I wasn't too stunned by that. I mean, the fact that I think the Jets were missing key players was frustrating. But again, if you look at that game, it was pretty evenly played. I think the score indicates it was pretty evenly played, and the Kings give one up in the third. Yeah, and again, leading after two. Give it. You have two up in the third. Yeah, lose yeah. lose a game that they should have won. The PK throughout those last four or five games really let them down. Um, and it's just again another frustrating game. And if you were, if we had we recorded after that Winnipeg game, yeah, it was going to be a bloodbath. It was just it was, and you and you ever so uh, with your, with your foresight, you said, why don't we give it? Why don't we give it until after the Buffalo game, and let's see how <laughs> things go. And I'm I'm very happy that you did. Are you? Because, because sometimes those are sometimes those are our most memorable episodes. Is when I know, man. And people people were asking for those, but I just <laughs> they they you know what it is. I don't I don't mind doing those episodes. In some ways, it's cathartic, but at the same time, it makes me. It just brings back all of that anger and sadness <laughs> from like game recap. That it's it's nice to have a little bit of a a balanced episode where we're able to be like, yeah, they played poorly these games, but things started turning around. And I think even that Winnipeg game, things started turning around a little bit. Kupari got a goal in that game assisted by Kaliev. And I think you started to see the second line kind of come together. Kempe gets his first goal of the season, a nice dish from Deneau. And just that whole sequence was some really good work by the second line. I follow recovered the loose puck to Deneau to Kempe nice goal for him and that was nice to see the second line not just have nice metrics but actually deliver something on it so I, I started having a good feeling there so it was really disappointing to see them lose that one again carrying a lead into the third yeah it was and I I think my disappointment was that you had again an opportunity where Hellebuck wasn't in net right uh, or the Jets were a little short-handed a good opportunity to to turn things around and it was just a tough one but they didn't have to wait long because no the beloved montreal canadians rolled into la tyler Toffoli, video tribute five tears for the kings cupcakes whatever uh no just a what can you say a good performance i think I was going to say start to finish, but they were trailing in this game. Yeah. Josh Anderson got one in the first, and I think you got that sinking feeling like we're about to lose to a team that doesn't generate much offense. Um, but the second period and third period, the Kings turned it on, and they kind of ran away with the game. Yeah. Again, I think the encouraging thing when you take a step back is just high danger chances, expected goals for percentage, Shots for percentage, Fenwick, Corsi, the Kings look good. 
and and they're, right. and they're looking good consistently. They looked good in this game. Three power play goals. There you go. Three power play goals. And that part always kind of brings you back. And it is an age of analytics. And uh, these analytics are only getting better to me and more accurate to me. Like, yeah, I think expected goals for is, is a terrific stat. I think high danger chances for is a terrific stat. It really gives you an mm-hmm. idea because there's plenty of teams, teams in the league that throw 40 shots on net and their high danger chances for percentages below 50. You know, that right. tells you a tale there. Those numbers don't lie. So it's encouraging to see the Kings making this progress. And I think when they're when they're on a losing streak, it's hard to look at these stats. But when they're winning, you look at these stats and you're like, how did I miss this? Yeah. How did I miss that they're outpossessing their opponents, that they're outchancing their opponents, that they're getting the better looks most of the time. They're just not finishing. And yeah. it's easy to it's easy to be positive when, when you're on a three game winning streak like they are right now. And to, and right now these numbers are really jumping out to me. But but I think I think again, even though they lost that Winnipeg game, I I, I think that was a real turning point for them. I think getting Kempi and in particular getting Kupari uh on the score sheet and not having it feel like it has to be Kopitar's line every single time. I think that was huge. And that carried over into the Montreal game. Cause you look at the goals, Kaliev ties it up Kupari with, as he called it, the shot of his life. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm going to watch that, that clip probably the entire season because it is such an amazing shot. And then I follow really turns it on and I follow has really taken charge the last two, three games. I yeah. think I can't remember him playing a better stretch of games, honestly. Yeah. Maybe he has, but I, right now I can't remember right. where i was so impressed with his game and he's right. been he's been under fire not just by us but by everyone that is he a top line winger is he a, a guy who could finish is he gonna get you 20 every year um but he's doing a lot of other stuff and he's always done a lot of other stuff but when your team is starving for goals you tend to focus on that aspect the offensive right. aspect and even that he's been he's been on it yeah it's a great stretch of games. I think he's playing exactly to his capabilities. I think he's doing exactly what you want from him. He's a prototypical four to five million dollar second line winger who's Middle stepping six, up in the yeah. right. Exactly, exactly. But I think more encouraging to me is seeing guys like Kaliev, Kupari, and even Clegg, who has had who's had his fair share of criticism. Not really clear what the organization thought of him. I can't. I can't imagine that they're going to like get rid of him at this point right like he's clearly stepping in he's playing the role that sean walker otherwise would be playing thus far doing well in three games i mean him and matt roy are stepping up and ostensibly being the dowdy and walker of of the team for right now and a little bit bjorn foot as well who i was very critical of coming up i think he's stepping up i think he's you know trying to be a better overall player um and people were clamoring for this people wanted to play the kids and etc i don't think they planned on doing it in this way but you can't help but be proud of them man you can't help but be proud to see these guys like actually stepping up and delivering and filling these roles until dowdy can potentially come back no absolutely it's exciting it's that's the best it's way fun. i can put it it's fun it's fun, it's fun. It's fun to see progress. It's fun to watch Arthur Kaliev every night. 
it's fun every time he winds up for a shot. You you know that anything can happen if he fires that puck. And I think at the beginning of the year, we were kind of disappointed that it seemed like out of training camp, no one was really going to get a shot at a spot. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it was just with the veterans, with re-signing Athanasi, which we wanted. We were all for that. I think looking up and down the lineup, Brendan Lemieux seemed like he was going to play most of the games. Just looking at all that, it just seemed like there wasn't much wiggle room to get these youngsters a good look. And obviously, for better or worse now, they are getting a look. And and it's exciting. And you could see the excitement in the team. There is rejuvenation in the team when these guys are, are on their horse and playing. I think there's, a, there's still a lot to learn. If they're going to be in the lineup long term, I think there's going to be some growing pains still. Mm-hmm. But but right now it's exciting to watch them perform and not just watch them perform, but watch them have some success mm-hmm. at this level. They're playing hard minutes. They're playing against hard nosed players, NHL veterans. Like, and right now they're giving the Kings management something to think about. There are veteran guys waiting to play, right? And it's not a slam dunk anymore. It's just not a given like we thought it would be in training camp. Well, Athens, you came off IR today. And uh, McClellan's comments were pretty much that, like, I expect him to be back in the lineup next game. Yesterday, he got off fire and he wasn't he wasn't put in the game. But, yeah, McClellan said he's going to play. Really. Yeah. As to, as to whose spot he's going to take, not really clear. The team made a bunch of paper transactions today that could change by the next game. It was like Turcotte and Kachev up, uh, Clegg and Strand down. I think some of that was to... Um, for waiver rules and stuff like that. Um, Elias Anderson came back for like a game and a half, was playing on the top line with Kopitar and Brown, got injured again. Not really clear what his status is. Arvidsson remains on COVID protocol. Velarde still on... I mean, there's just so many moving parts. There's so many moving parts that uh, I don't know who's going to play one night to the next. And some of that might come down again to waiver eligibility and who can go down to Ontario and not have to be subject to waivers again. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised in that setting, despite how well Kupari is doing, if he gets sent down. Um, would I prefer that over, say, Lazat being put on waivers? I guess not. But you can see how quickly things can change, right? Like, look at San Jose right now. I think they've got something like eight players on COVID protocol. Yeah. Some of their guys got back tonight. Couture, I think, was back a couple yeah. of games. There's there's some guys that they're still waiting on. But right. they're, they're playing with like a skeleton crew. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so I, I think in that setting, you know, you have to you have to kind of abide by waiver rules as opposed to just being like the best players get to play. You know? I think I think you have to take that into consideration because if you decide that you're just going to keep sending guys down, putting them on waivers left and right because you got better younger guys, so to speak, you're going to lose Grundstrom, you're going to lose Lazat because every other team is going through exactly what you're going through. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a weird season. I think this is just the beginning. Yeah. For a lot of teams, you look around the league, you know, Sidney Crosby came back from injury one day later he was he got he tested positive for covid 
Right. That's just one example of a superstar player, and it's going to keep happening. Yeah, for unfortunately. For a while, yeah. Yeah, and there's no guarantee. I mean, you assume that if they go on protocol and they actually test positive, okay, two weeks they're back, but that's that's far from a guarantee. Yeah, and going back to the Kings' last game against St. Louis, it was it was a roller coaster. What can I say? I guess we could talk more about this game because it was the more recent game. Obviously, Kopitar had so many looks in this game, a couple of empty net looks. He had a breakaway in overtime. His shootout goal hit two posts and came out. And I think what I'm encouraged about is the fact that he had such a rough offensive game, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So he had chances. I always say, if you get chances, you're good. I'm, I'm good with it. But right. for, for him to have kind of battle the puck like that and the Kings to still win, those are the kind of things that probably will go a long way. Yeah. And this is one of the few games in this stretch, even because we were talking about how even against Nashville, Dallas, uh, the adva- in terms of advanced stats, I think the Kings were ahead on those. But this is one of those games where they were actually behind for much of the game on advanced stats leading up to the third period where they really tried to turn it on and tie it and they still ended up winning the game so that's yeah. I think that's really encouraging I think that third period was about as good as you would expect from the Kings in that situation and it's right I was very pleased I thought Trevor Moore the game was very sleepy specifically mm-hmm. in the first period I thought it was really like nothing really was happening it was low event hockey the blues were getting pretty much all the looks but even their looks weren't grade a um and then one goal in the second still pretty sleepy and then the third the kings kind of i i still say there was a shift by trevor moore where he really really sparked everything and after that the mm-hmm. kings kind of just kept coming in waves um and yeah they they outplayed the blues in the third <laughs> They outplayed them in overtime, that's for sure. I think shots were eight to nothing. I think the Kings had a 90% Corsi, a 94% expected goals. They got every look, and I can't can't believe one of those didn't go in. Philip Deneau had a great look, but Bennington Bennington stopped him. I think we're going to have to talk about old Philip Deneau just a little bit. Okay. I will reserve my comments. What are your thoughts so far on on what he's brought to the team? It's it's really tough hey, to no say. More. No more. No, no, it, it really is because on the one hand, um, I look at the numbers. I look at the advanced numbers. I look at how the line is playing, and and I know. I know what Ayafalo brings. I know what Kempe brings. I know Kempe is extremely streaky, and I, I do wonder how much of the, uh, how much of the production is stifled because of that, and how much of it is Deno's own offensive shortcomings. Because he's never this, he's never really been billed as an offensive guy. This was just something that was kind of promised to him, or uh, you know sold as you're going to come to LA and we're going to unleash the hidden offense of Philip Deneau, that kind of thing. Right. Well, but, depending on the week, because initially it was that he's right. going to bring out 
Kopitar's on. Right, 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 right. And then it was, oh, they, they told me I was going to be on the power play and that, you know, whatever it might be. But I think when, when it comes down to it, no matter how you look at it and how you talk about what you're going to do with his offense, he's a, he's a 40 to 50 point center in my mind. In a good season, he's a 40 to 50 point center. I don't think it's fair based on what I've seen of his play to expect this guy to be like a 55, 60 point player consistently. I'll tell you, I'll take 50 because he's, he's cracked 40 once. But that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like when you pay a guy like this 6 million, you're not, I don't think that you should be sitting there going 40 points. Fantastic. We're excited about that. I think that, I think, I think they overpaid to get him for what he actually is. He's which not is, a bad player. Which is usually the case in free agency. Whoever you right. get, you're going to have to overpay. Right. He's not a bad player. By any means, he's not a bad player. But I don't think that he's I, – I think in an ideal world, he would be the modern-day Jared Stoll of this team. I think that's fair. I think you're looking at it – ideally, I think in a – and this might happen still, so I'm not – you know, I'm not just going to hammer the Kings for signing him because I think eventually it's very, I would say, likely that he becomes the Kings' third line center. Right. And and I think that's where you really get the value out of him. That, you know, it sounds weird that for a $6 million yeah, player. Yeah, I was going to say you're using the term value very loosely there. Yeah. So, you know, you would think that based on what they're paying him, he should be a threat for 20 goals playing top six minutes, getting a bulk of that ice time, being on the power play, playing in all situations. Um, you would think that he'd be, he should be a second line center, but I really do think he, he's going to be better suited in the third spot. And, and I think that's when he will probably be more appreciated mm-hmm. specifically by me, <laughs> I would say, because he's, He's not an exciting player. He's not a sexy name. He's not going to, the things he does are never going to, you know, make you go to the rink or go to the arena and buy a ticket and be like, right. Philip Deneau's playing today. So right. I'm, I'm going to, you know, had we recorded our episode after the Winnipeg game, <laughs> I think it would have been maybe a little harsher because the Kings weren't finishing and you signed a free agent for 6 million. You hope he could finish a little bit, but. I do completely understand what he brings to the table. You know, when he's on the ice, the Kings are out shooting their opponent. They're out chancing their opponent. They're out possessing their opponent. I get all that. I appreciate all that. I understand the value of all that. But, you know, you don't pay Michael Hanzu $6 million. Right. I think that's what it comes down to. I think for what he brings, the Kings are paying him too much. And so they far. will continue. <laughs> Fine. I, I, it's it's going to be. It's going to be an overpayment. I, I'm I've made my peace with that. That like, it's they overpaid to get this guy, and they thought it was going to be something else. I don't know. For what it's worth, Andre's doing great. <laughs> I don't know how much of that I want to attribute to Philip Deneau taking pressure off of him because I really haven't seen that. I, and this is what we talked about, like, even when they signed him, like, I don't notice anything different. 
Andre's still playing 19, 20 minutes a game and taking on the toughest assignments. So it's fine. It is what it is. I'm not like. He should be the one opened up being opened up to score. Right. That's that's the bottom line. Because Kopitar is going to get the toughest defensive matchups. Right. Every time that a coach can throw out his best defensive center, it's going to be against Kopi. Now, in theory, you would say, okay, then the no gets matched up with their best offensive line. Not not all the time, not right. even most of the time. Right. It's still it's still gonna be Kopi's line, I think, for the most part. But I think it's nice to have that flexibility. I think I still want to see more defensive zone starts from Dino's line. They get a lot of offensive zone starts, man. Yeah. And I understand that, you know, the top line might be coming off the ice and whatnot, but I also get Dino's a good face off guy, so winning a face off in the offensive zone is it's pretty critical if you want to attack. So I don't know. We'll see. I guess I'm not over the moon still. Just like we weren't over the moon when they signed him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Again, for what I thought this team needed, he wasn't the guy that I wanted them to get. They had some logic as to why they wanted him. They had uh, their eyes on him specifically. But I don't think he's a $6 million player. I don't think he's ever going to be a $6 million player. It's probably true. And things can change very quickly. I, look, if he buries that chance in overtime on Bennington, maybe this conversation is much shorter. He's still not a six-minute. He's, he's got four points in ten games. I, sure, but what I mean is he has one goal, correct? Correct. And it was off a deflection. It was a nice tip. Yes, yes. I want to see him score those goals where he's open on the rush. Yeah. That's yeah. what we want. I agree. I just yeah. don't think he's that player. <laughs> Maybe not, but maybe, maybe I'm, I don't know. Maybe it is in him. So, no, it's not. I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. No, it's not going to happen probably. Right. So I'm trying out here, guys. Vardy's, you know. Negative Nancy. I apologize. I think we've switched. No, we haven't. I've always been more positive than you, <laughs> which is saying a lot because I can be. You should see our text chain, folks. It's, yeah. It's. <laughs> It is not especially, suitable. Especially during a losing streak. Yeah, it is not suitable for work. That is for sure. All right, so let's th- look ahead at their schedule. So they got New Jersey coming up. Okay, uh, they need to win that game. I'm sorry. 100%. There's, you got to keep that going. There's nothing. I just hope it's not a situation, and this happens to all, teams all the time, where they look at their homestand and they're like, we, do, we done good. Right. Don't say that yet, guys, please. If I'm being frank, I'm looking at so between the New Jersey game and the uh, and the um, Canada road trip coming up, the next four games after that going to Canada. I I, I really feel like they can go four and one in the next five games. Interesting. They got New, they got New Jersey, then they got Toronto and Montreal back to back, Ottawa, Winnipeg. So you think they, they got a shot at beating Winnipeg in Winnipeg? Yeah. I think if they ride that high going into that, that's a great way to end that road trip. You take a little revenge for losing the game at home. Yeah, I don't like that game for the Kings at all. You don't? Okay. No, no. Winnipeg's going to be at full strength. Hellebuck's going to be in net. They're on the road. Don't like that at all. But However, I think New Jersey and Montreal, I think you have to beat New Jersey, man. I think you have to beat New Jersey, Montreal, and Ottawa, at the Ottawa, very least. Ottawa's a pesky team. 
still doesn't matter. But yeah, I think if you if you are who you sold that you are, you have to start winning games that are winnable. And I think they've been doing that at mm-hmm. home, which is exactly what they needed to do. The streak is exactly what they needed at the right time. But you got to continue because it's not going to get easier. You're going to get Washington. You're going to get Carolina. You're going to get Toronto again. Yeah, that second half in November is a murderer's row, short of like Arizona in there. If they don't win the Arizona game, (laughs) we are doing an emergency podcast. That's right. And we're going to do the episode we meant to do after the Winnipeg game. I wonder if Arizona will have a win by then. No team wants to be the one that gives Arizona their first win. No. Uh, I think, I hope they win by then. Now you're going to make me look at Arizona's schedule. <laughs> go ahead. Why not? I think they got Anaheim tomorrow or today if, when, you, when this episode is out. That'd be nice. Anaheim, one of, the, one of the teams that was long rumored to potentially get Eichel. You know what's funny about Anaheim? When we were going to do that angry episode... I was going to go on this rant about how Anaheim has so much heart and passion and they're fighting in every game and they're mm. in every game. And why can't the Kings show this kind of urgency? <laughs> How's Anaheim doing these days? They're whatever. <laughs> they're, you know, leaning on John Gibson. They're scoring mm-hmm. a lot, which is very interesting. I think everyone kind of expected... Zegers and Drysdale to really make them an offensive team last season, but I think it's hap- it's slowly happening this season. Mm-hmm. So they're scoring. They're not winning all the time, but they're scoring. They just blew the doors off New Jersey. More I enough. think they have the benefit of being a team without many expectations. It's it's very much a let's see what happens season for them. Yeah, yeah. The Kings had that last year. Didn't go so great. Right. Oh man. Okay. So here you go. Arizona's playing Chicago on November twelfth. That's. I feel like if there's ever a game that they got a chance of winning, that's it. Because before then, it's Chicago's not uh, losing that game. Is it in Chicago? Mm, yes. Chicago's winning that game. It's oh. the best shot they got, I think. Because then they got. Because right now they got the Ducks. Then they have Seattle. Uh, they might. I guess they might beat Seattle in Arizona. And then they got Minnesota. They're not going to win that game. And then they go on a road trip to Chicago, Nashville, St. Louis. Probably going to lose oh all God. those. It's hard when you're the very worst team in the league yeah. by a country mile. Yeah. No game looks winnable. No, not at all. It's not at rough all. times for them, man. It is. Can it you is. name you... their starting goaltender? Uh, it's going to take a minute because I don't It's not Craig know. Anderson, is it? No, that would be the Buffalo Sabres start. Oh, that's right, that's right. Um, is it? Is it uh, Auntie Ranta still? No, sir. I don't know. It did they just man. pick up Wedgwood? They just no. picked up Wedgwood on waivers today, I think. Oh yeah, they did. So the man I was gonna name, Karel Vejmelka. That's not a real name. He's re- his record is oh six and one. Oh, this poor kid. 2.54 goals against, 0.92 save percentage. He is a gamer, <laughs> as you can hear. He hasn't won I mean, a game his, yet. Dude, his save percentage is 0.922, yeah. and this poor kid can't get a win. That can't is sad. That is can't sad because Carter Hutton, he of three games played and two losses, his save percentage was 0.741, which is abominable. 
No, this kid battles. That's for good sure. For, good for Corel. All right. So should we should we talk about sad things and then come back to more interesting stuff or I don't know. I really I know what you're going for here. I really don't want to talk about this, but I know we kind of have to. Because well, we don't have to delve too deep. I feel like other people have probably done a much better job than us, but yeah, like, you know, Elliot Friedman and Darren Drager and everyone in the hockey world, Jeff Merrick. I think you got to give credit where it's due to like, um, uh, what was it? Not Emily Kaplan, but um, uh, was it Rick Westhead of TSN? Is he the guy who Rick pretty Westhead much launched the investigation? Thing. Right. Yeah. Right. He, he pretty much has been pushing this whole thing. And then there was one other, I, I'm going to, I'm going to find her name because it's worth it because her, she and, and Westhead were the ones who really kept on this and pushed it to where it is. Um, yeah. As you guys have figured out, we're going to, we're talking about the Chicago Blackhawks situation with their video coach and all the fallout from that, including one of the most decorated coaches of the last 20 years being fired from. He stepped new... down. He stepped he down. Thank fired. you. Okay, fine. Being asked to leave. <laughs> yes. Uh, by a different organization, not the one where uh, his ethics right. were questioned <laughs> in. Right. Yeah, it's uh first things first it's an absolute freaking tragedy. Okay? That that this poor guy has had to live with this his entire career probably ruined if not negatively completely affected by this horrific thing that was allowed to happen to him and not addressed properly, but then the excuses that were made on the part of the Blackhawks brain trust regarding playoff runs and chemistry I mean, yeah, and God, yeah. God knows what else to protect a freaking video coach over, over your own player, over your own first round pick. Not that it matters where he was picked, but I'm just saying here, or like any this is, human being or any human being, right? Like it could be your freaking janitor. It doesn't matter. But like to, to think that like, cause you'd be foolish to think that these guys don't have some sort of a hierarchy in their head, right? Like, okay, your starting center is more valuable, so to speak, to your team than a fourth liner who's more valuable than your whatnot. Sure. So this is, so this it's, is a business. This isn't yeah, participation exactly. sports. Exactly. So it's it's mind-boggling to me that they looked at, at this situation and they said to themselves, no, no, no. We can't mess with our video coach's chemistry and what he brings to the locker room. Let's not only keep him through this entire thing let's let him celebrate with the team and then quietly in the summer we'll wave goodbye and write him a nice letter of recommendation like i can't even imagine how that feels as as a as a human being who's been on the other side of this guy's evil essentially to sit there and see the guy who hurt you basically being given a pat on the back yeah he was at the banner ceremony he yeah. was his name was engraved on the cup. Not anymore. That's been, right. That's been X'd out. Right. And not a moment too soon. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. For me, it hits a different we both we're both parents. 
So right off the bat, like my hand balls up into a fist right there. Right. Um, I've been coaching youth hockey for 15 years and I take great pride in being a hockey coach. I take great pride in having these parents trust me in any aspect of their kid's life, in any aspect of their development, in their extracurricular activities. And the thought of someone abusing that on a higher level or any level really is absolutely infuriating to me. And I don't know, I, if, if I go on, I might drop a few F-bombs here, but it really, really bothers me that there's still a hockey fraternity feeling around situations like this, that this nonsense, this bullshit is still prevalent in this day and age or any day and age. It's never been right. But the fact that a team would go out of their way to protect anyone. Yes, it was a video coach. Yes, that blows my mind too. But that you would protect anyone because of a sport or a result of a sport, result of a children's game that makes everyone millions of dollars to put that over the well-being of even one person is a travesty and a black eye on the NHL and a black eye on hockey, unfortunately. Right. And you know this shit still goes on. And you know more shit like this has happened. And you know more things are going to come out. This is not the end. This is the beginning. I'm telling you right now. Well, sadly, this shouldn't have been the beginning. When guys like Theo Fleury were coming out and talking years ago about their their uh, their minor league or their or their juniors coaches doing things like this to them when they were kids that should have been the point in time when everyone kind of did a an audit of what what was going on within their own organization you know absolutely it it doesn't it doesn't take much. I think that's the part that bothers me the most. Like it doesn't take much to be a decent human being and to protect other human beings around you from something like this, something that I think everyone can agree. Like there's no gray area to this. This is not like a, Oh, different perspective kind of situation. Like the guy is an outright criminal. If you didn't know it then, you found it out four or five years ago when he goes on, and I don't know how this sits on their conscience, having writing this guy letters of rec, and then he goes on and is like as a felony sex offender in Michigan now. Yep. Another kid. Another course. kid. How at that point do you not act? You know, you had 10 years. You had 10 years and multiple points in time where you could have been like, okay, guys, we didn't do it then, but we really should do something about this now. But instead, you just buried your head in the sand and you kept focusing on the product on the ice because that's somehow the only thing that matters. You know, it, it's, it's, it's awful. It's heartbreaking. It makes me sick on the inside to think about this stuff. Yeah, and right after everything came out, the public comments, the statements by higher ups in the league did not make, in my opinion, anything better. No, it still had threads of the old boy hockey fraternity 
all over the place. And although right. they, they maybe in their head thought they were saying the right things and doing the right things, it was still very much a, let me give this guy a chance to speak his side or tell me his side of the story or right. Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane coming out and saying how, what a great man Stan Bowman is and this and that instead of straight up attacking the issue head on. And I listen, I, I've said this before. I don't think players, it's a tough situation for those guys. I understand that. I, I don't think they're obligated to come out and say like vehemently bash their former GM. I don't think I'm saying do that, but you can't come out in that, at that time frame and protect this guy like the way they did. And it, right. And I think, man, I don't know. I think the Blackhawks are headed. They're already in a pretty shitty situation, obviously, but there's, darker days coming for that organization in my opinion yeah and you know to me the 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 ones that i heard making the comments that i could point to and go yes that's that's how you need to be addressing this we're the same guys who always who always come correct in these situations right like robin laner wayne simmons you know guys who who torts. had their own, right torts you know it bothers me, man. It bothers me to, to hear responses like that's a tough situation. I'm not really sure. I don't, cause I'm not asking you to bury the other guy. That's not what I'm saying at all, but you, you have the wherewithal to come out and say, we completely dropped the ball. We screwed this up. I screwed this up. I need to be better. You know, if a house cleaning was what was necessary, then that's what we did accept responsibility because and, and then like you have guys like Duncan Keith coming out and saying man okay now that everyone's pissed about it I really wish I had cooperated with the uh, with the independent investigators you know what I mean like it's just dude you can't you you know it, it's just it and I think a lot of it is is a discomfort right like these are a lot of guys who they come from a point of privilege. Okay. They've, they've been fortunate enough to be able to play this game from when they were kids and have the skill and the support system and the financial well-being to get to where they are. I'm not saying they've had everything handed to them, but they have had every opportunity available to them to make it to this position. They probably haven't had to focus on too much else as like a priority in their life. Absolutely, and not. I, I think, and I think, I think at some point, Kyle Beach was in that situation too. He was a first round pick for the Hawks. He worked his ass off to get to that point, and probably never had to deal with anything like this. And so, for even for him, I don't know how you process that. Like, how do you, you know, this never happened to you? How how would you possibly even know how to approach this? And so, to to not be able to get the support from the other guys around you who you trust that much, who you feel like understand you the most and everything you have suffered through or sacrificed to get to the points you're at and to have them just kind of be like, Oh, it's, it's tough to say. I don't know. It's, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. 
anything ex- anything other than a straight line stance right is it just looks bad and then the nhl finds the blackhawks two million dollars they find the new jersey devils three million dollars years ago for circumventing the cap with Ilya Kovalchuk's contract right it's just it, the whole that, thing again it's this culture of hockey and I know we have a lot of listeners and a lot of hockey fans that still love the way that things were and they still talk about the Smythe division and Bob Probert punching people in the face and all this other stuff that's not what I'm talking about there's an inner hockey culture of fraternity that needs to change the way the culture of hockey has a lot of problems and they're all coming to a head almost at the same time, you know, from various different angles. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things, man. There's racism. There's a lot of bullying in hockey, especially in the younger ages. There are some really disgusting and horrific things going on in like 16 triple a and the way those locker rooms are, there's there's a there's a culture in hockey that needs to change and needs to change fast and this is probably the worst example right. of it and it happens and i'm telling you i wouldn't be surprised if it's happening to some kid somewhere right now yeah and and not to say that it's unique to hockey but i just feel like hockey in general has that mentality of keep it closed keep it quiet crest on the front of the jersey not about the name you know what i mean that whole idea of the team before you even if it comes to like your well-being your health your life look at look at how and we'll get into this but look at the backlash on jack eichel for this one simple thing that he wanted right people are calling him prima donna privileged based on what Based on what? Because he wanted a surgery that the old hockey boys in Buffalo didn't want because they wanted to protect their asset, not the human being, right? their asset. And I know it's like that in all sports, but you know what? It's, look at the NBA. You think that would fly with any player in the NBA? No, it would not because they have taken control of their sport. Right. They are in control of their sport for better or worse. And there's bad examples too of that. Trust me. Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, the NBA certainly does a lot of things that I'm not I'm not yes. very keen on either. Yes, but my point is the athlete, the modern-day athlete, should be more empowered, should feel like, I, <clears throat> oh, I can't say this because my career will be ruined. Right. Shouldn't feel like, you know, the team is bigger than I am. I mean, right. yes, in, in the microcosm of the locker room and things like that, yeah, that's a good attitude to have, right. but not at the cost of your health your well-being, your mental health, right? Your potential trauma. Like, no, no. And it cannot be that way anymore. Yeah. And, you know, to, to hold the mirror up to our, to the franchise that we love, this kind of goes back to the Voinov situation, I feel like in a lot of ways. And I don't think the Kings handled that totally correctly. No, I and think there's people who still protect Voinov to this day. Right. Uh, you'd be shocked, folks, at the people who still protect Voinov to this day. And we know this firsthand. You'd right. be surprised. Yeah, it's it, it, to me, there's no gray area there. There's no gray area whatsoever. 
And the fact that the Kings went about and even tried to insert a gray area and keep him practicing and, and doing all these things before finally begrudgingly basically cutting ties with him. It, it still bothers me. It still bothers me. And it bothers me more now after situations like this, because that's exactly what we're talking about. That's exactly what we're talking about because the Kings went ahead and they handled that Voinov situation the way they did because the NHL really didn't pressure them. The culture of hockey really didn't pressure them to handle it any differently than they actually did. And so they, they did it. They just did whatever they wanted to. They just kind of dragged their feet about it when, you know, and that's, and I'm not saying don't go through due process or, or this, that, and the other. That's, that's all well and good. But the fact that they tried to get him back to practicing with the team, it, it's yeah, such a... because he was valuable asset to the team. Exactly, was, exactly. When Mike Richards stopped being valuable to the team, right? he wasn't right. protected very much, was he? No. In fact, he was run the fuck over, if I may say so. There you go. No one asked, how's so, your mental health today, Mike? You feeling yeah. okay, Mike? The second he dropped the ball and made a mistake, he was gone. Yeah. There you go. And it's you. This is those are just a few examples with the Kings. There are more examples all over the league. Yeah. So yeah, and, and I'm I'm just bringing those up because, not that I think that they're. They're not comparable. Water under the bridge. No, they're not. They're not comparable. That's not what we're trying to say. We're just giving more examples of how players right. are treated. Exactly. And that's and, why we, and how and that's franchises. Why we, that's why we want players to get rich and get rich as fast as possible. Because when they are done, right. they will be tossed aside like scraps. Because this machine right. will always keep going. They're a spoke. Exactly. That's all they are. Exactly. All they are. exactly. I don't know. I hope. I hope there are dark days for the Blackhawks. Yeah, I, I really wish the best for, for Kyle Beach and and anyone affected by this, because it's it's horrific, man. It's horrific. It, it, if you haven't already watched his interviews with with Rick Westhead, just just think for a second how much it takes to step out as a as a hockey player as a guy who you identified your entire life as a as an NHL hockey player imagine what it takes to step out of the shadows admit that this was you oh yeah after everything you've been through for the last decade and outright just come out and talk about it openly knowing the horrific mentality that a lot of people in this world can have and opening yourself up to all of that nastiness potentially. So if you haven't watched that interview yet with him and, and Rick Westhead on, on TSN, sit through it. If you can, you know, you're, you're going to choke up a few times, I can guarantee, but sit through it because this dude had to carry that weight on his shoulder for over a decade. Yeah. And Donald Fear, you could kiss my ass too, and the NHLPA can kiss my ass too. Yeah for their lack they, of response to this. 
Not not like the NHL has done a whole lot either. No, they can both kiss my ass. Yeah. All right. All right. Should we talk? Should we talk about Jack? Let's get Jack back again. To hockey. Yes. Why not? Since back we brought Jack. him up, Jack Eichel. And the Buffalo Sabers can kiss my ass too. That's right. Because <laughs> they. First of all, I just want to throw some things out because of this trade. Because after this trade, the reaction to well, not even after this trade, since he's requested this trade, mm-hmm. the hatred thrown at Jack Eichel is friggin' disgusting. The Buff- Buffalo Sabres are a joke organization. They vilified him. They spun him out to be a self-centered, money-grabbing prima donna. And everyone that knows Jack Eichel, and I'm not privy to this, I've just listened to other people who know Jack Eichel talk about Jack Eichel, would probably fist fight you if you said something like that. I've heard nothing but good things about his family. I've heard nothing but good things about the community he came from. Anyway, the point is, I'm glad Jack Eichel's out of Buffalo. I'm glad he's happy. I'm glad he posted that photo, that Photoshop photo of him with a Vegas jersey with his hands up. That pissed everybody off. Right. You should, I mean, you should see the stuff people say, like, oh, you had this ready to go. How long did it take you? Kiss my ass. <laughs> I am so happy for him. He must be elated. He's going to go. He's going to get the surgery he wants what he thinks is best for him, what he thinks is best for his future. He's not being treated like an asset. I mean, he was because it was a trade, but you know what I mean? Um, he has a voice. Right. In deciding. He's being given an option. Right. Right. And it should be like that for every NHL player and every athlete in the world. Because at the end of the day, they are people. They have problems. They have ailments and they should be able to at least voice their opinion on how they think they should fix it. And how should also, they I think go about their career. I think it's worth mentioning here that it's not like he was asking for, you know, like some ridiculous thing. He's not asking to like, okay, Jack, your, your disc is herniated. But what, what if I sat in a room and I smoked weed for six months? Would that help doc? You know what I mean? Like that's not, he's not suggesting something outlandish. He's suggesting a surgery that medical professionals who have performed this procedure on different types of athletes are saying will work for him. And you could bring up the argument that no other NHL player has had this, but there has to be a first one, right? There has to be someone who's the first person to get it done. He can't help that he's the one with this injury. He plans to have a life beyond hockey and is concerned that getting a cervical fusion, a classic cervical fusion procedure will not be potentially the best option for him. He didn't pull that that out of the air folks. Right. It's not, it's not unreasonable. It is not unreasonable in the slightest that this is what he wants. Right. He's an asset. And then people say, Where's your loyalty to Buffalo? Are you freaking kidding me right now with yeah. that statement? Where's your loyalty? Dude, to even Buffalo? Kevin Adams, even Kevin Adams coming out afterwards and saying something like, uh, you, we really want players who are dying to be Buffalo Sabres. It's like, come on, man. 
Come sure. on, don't okay, don't do great. that. There are no players who are dying to be Buffalo Sabres. Yeah. Spoiler alert, Kevin. No one wants to play for your shit organization. But even still, even still, even if that was not the case, when you come out and you make a statement like that, you're basically what you're implying is that this was all bullshit. He doesn't care. He didn't the injury's not a big deal. It's just him and he wants out of Buffalo. You're vilifying him. You are you are no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You are completely getting rid of the true medical component that has driven a lot of this, you know, separation between the player and the team. And you're turning it into a very simple emotional, he didn't want to be a Buffalo Sabre, guys. What are you going to do? Anyway, I wish he was an LA King, but he's not. Yeah, so Vegas. He went, he went to the Golden Knights. Vegas being Vegas. Vegas being you know, swinging for the fences every chance they get. Uh, sends Alex Tuck, who I think is a solid player. Good player, Alex Tuck. He is. Second He's, line. He could play first line too. Yeah. Speedy, big guy, scores clutch goals. I think he's been dealing with some injury issues as well, so not not totally out of the woods there. Um, Peyton Krebs, who uh, was a first-round pick for, for the Knights a couple of years ago, um, did very well in the WHL, couple uh, games in the AHL, and I think six or seven games at the NHL level. Granted, the Knights as a whole are doing terribly right now, so I don't know how much you want to read into that. But I would say jury is still out yeah, on him. Definitely, to, like potentials there. Yeah, and I think Buffalo wanted him specifically to be included in the deal. Correct, because I truthfully, I, I mean, knowing Vegas and how quickly they trade away their prospects, I don't know. How many other close to NHL ready prospects they have at this point with that type of a pedigree? Um, and then a first round pick, but interestingly, uh, a top 10 protected first round pick for 2022. So if the Vegas Knights keep progressing in their terrible hockey playing ways as they are right now, uh, it's more or less a lottery protected pick for this year. So that would slide to the following year. And I think Buffalo sent them a third and Vegas sent the third back some some pick yeah. exchange there as well. Vegas is not gonna have a top ten pick. They're gonna yeah, get healthy. They're gonna get healthy. They're gonna be fine. Yeah. If if Eichel's back by February, they're gonna be just fine. Yeah. Yeah. Just fine. I think that's fair. But the fact that it's the fact that they even got that top ten protection really makes me laugh at Buffalo. Because we all remember back in the summer when the asking price was four first-rounders of the equivalent of it. And boy, oh boy, have we come a long way from that. And according to Dave Pagnota, this was the package that Vegas had more or less since, since the summer. So really nothing has changed. Nothing changed except you drag this out now and you could have traded the guy in August. He could have had a surgery by now. He could have been playing by now. Instead, you dragged it out for no particular reason. And now you're potentially jeopardizing his ability to play for the Olympic team. So good job there, Kevin. Yeah, the crest looks sparkling today, Kevin. Yeah. You did real good. I'm sure some guys are really dying, right? Because no one talks to Jack, I'm sure. None of the other players actually talk to him. They just They just listen to your press conference and they go... GM must be right about everything. I think he came out and he said, Alex Tuck told me this is a dream come true for him. 
to play Great. the Buffalo Sabres. Great. I give it a week. Alex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so not gonna, so, we're not going to beat this. I think this. Let's let's call this the last time we're going to say this. The Kings should have made an offer. The Kings should have made before the Deno signing. The Kings should have made a substantial offer to Buffalo. And I understand that after the Deno signing, that was kind of off the table. Right. We, we don't know that they didn't, for the record. But if they didn't, I'll be, and it ever comes out that they didn't, I'll be pissed off for like five hours. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe even though the offer from Vegas maybe didn't, wasn't any different than it was in the summer, perhaps the situation in general was very different sure. in the summer, depending on the offer that the Kings were making. Um, hypothetically, let's say if the Kings offered them Velarde, Kempe at first and someone else i'm just spitballing here based on somewhat equivalent players not that velardi i'm sorry not that uh kempi is the equivalent to two nor those guys right right but the closest thing i could think of anyway um perhaps in buffalo's mind they could have done better at that time it's possible yeah and as the season went on you know different players committed differently i know there was some rumor a couple of days ago that perhaps Calgary was offering Matthew Kachuk and came out to be false. Right. Right. Which straight up, I think uh LeBrun came out basically and said, no, that was never the case. Yeah. So. And Buffalo would have pulled the trigger on that. I hope if it was. Got a, I, yeah. I, I would think so too. I would think so too. Cause if this was the secondary option, um, so from that standpoint, I don't know the specifics. I don't know the specifics. But if this was what the option... I'm going to go ahead and say it, man. Like, you know, had they not signed to no, and this was still potentially what Buffalo would have taken, they should have gotten Nico. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, But the problem is once you've already committed that $6 million to Philip to no, it doesn't matter how much you like Jack Eichel. You've you've decided that like Philip Deneau's your guy. It's not the package that Buffalo wants in the trade anymore. It's your it's your commitment it's to the cap and the play. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which apparently Vegas gives zero shits about the cap no. at this point. No. They don't. I think they had eight forward skating. No, that's that's too little. I think they had eleven forwards today. Just normal stuff for Vegas. Yeah. Not having enough players on the ice, stuff like that. But they're going to be fine once uh, everyone gets healthy, once their big boys come back, and they're going to be they're going to be something. To well, see, well, man. that's that's the thing though. So in order for them to get all their big boys back before the playoffs, um, they're going to have to they would, LTIR someone. Well, they already have with Stone and uh, Pacioretty and Eichel, but as soon as those guys come off of LTIR. If you want them to play regular season hockey, where the cap still matters, unless you're going to pull a Tampa Bay and a Kucherov situation, they would have to to move a fair amount of salary because they would go immediately over the cap the second those three guys come off of the LTIR. I don't even know how they're going to do it. I mean, the names that I have seen pretty much bandied about is that Riley Smith, Marcia So. Carlson, one of these guys, perhaps more than one of these guys, is gonna is gonna be moved. 
to make room for Jack Eichel. Yeah. That is yeah. that is absolute insanity. If they if those guys get moved, they will be a completely unrecognizable team. Or Dadanov. They, they Evgeny Dadanov has yeah, Evgeny Dadanov has a five million dollar dealer for another two years. Not really doing a whole heck of a lot, and he's got a modified no trade. Uh Marcia So, five million for another three years. Yeah, they've got three or four guys here who are making five million here. Riley Smith is already UFA next season, so he seems like a very likely candidate to move, but five million alone won't won't do it, it seems. They're gonna have to move probably at least one more person, I would say. Man, how many players from the Western Conference champion Vegas Golden Knights remain on this team? Five or six? Riley Smith, Marcia So Carlson, Carrier was Carrier on that team. He I was, wasn't he? I have no idea. Uh, Shea Theodore, Braden McNabb. That's pretty much was it. Theodore even playing in that series in that playoff run? Oh, that's a good question. I know he was on the roster, but I don't know if he was playing. I can look. Anyway, the point is, if they move those other guys, too, yeah, he was. He okay. was. They move those other guys too they will be a complete mercenary team and they're okay with that this is how they've Clearly. decided that they're gonna they're, they're gonna go about their things you know and, and i was i was mentioning this to twitter on twitter earlier today that i think making that cup run or cup final run i should say that first season completely flipped their perspective as to how they were going to do things i think i think it basically made them think oh we're in our window and we have to do everything we can to win within this window we don't have time to waste for prospects we don't have time to you know fill in the lineup we're gonna go and get everything we need to to get a cup within the next three to four seasons and then we'll worry about it afterwards you know yeah because yeah I mean, three, four years from now, once all these guys are older and sitting on huge deals with no trade clauses and things like that, it's going to be interesting to see what they do, man. The shit times are just around the corner, so they got four years to... Well, that's that's what they're banking on, is that they're going to win it now, and then they'll deal with it afterwards. Cups are forever, man. You could always end up like San Jose. You make it to the cup final, and then still waiting to make it back. Yeah, it is interesting. Any teams around the league? Florida still undefeated. Yeah. Carolina with, well, Florida's got one overtime loss, I think, right? That's right. They're 9-0-1. Right. Which has become an interesting little Twitter feud between them and Carolina as to which one of them is really undefeated because Carolina's 9-0. Classic Carolina. Classic Carolina. (laughs) I got to eat some crow about the Calgary Flames. All right, buddy, go for it. Daryl Sutter is a great coach to take there that ragtag bunch of underachievers, that poorly constructed roster, and have them be six, one, and three in their last ten games, which I think is all the games they played actually. And and they're five and one on the road. Yeah, I think that's and, very impressive. And they are outplaying everybody. They lost the game to Nashville, where they dominated the game. Mm-hmm. And just Nashville will just come down and score. 
And Matt Duchesne, of course. <laughs> Got the game winner in that one. But yeah, I'm they're feeling it, man, right now. Daryl's got them going. They're playing they're playing that hockey. The mm-hmm. hockey we know and love. They're you know what they remind me of? Like a Roman phalanx, where everyone is just lockstep together. I have no idea what those words mean. Really? You don't know what a phalanx is? Okay, so it's the Roman soldiers used to take their their shields and line them up across mm-hmm. the sides and, on, and across the top and just move in unison and occasionally stab with spears between the the shields. They were oh, like okay, a walking yes, yes, they sure. were like a walking tank essentially. Gotcha. They they operated as a unit. Sure, seen it in a hundred movies. Yeah, there you go. That's what they remind me of. Individually, their parts are okay to good to maybe great even. But right now, there's just Daryl Sutter's phalanx. <laughs> That's what they're doing. Amazing. And they got great guys who are, you know, probably underappreciated, like Mangiapani and stuff. Not or, anymore, man. He's Well, he, he's now he's on the very radar. appreciated. Yeah. We were hoping Trevor Moore could right? have that same kind of right? fallout from the world championships. Right. Rasmus Anderson coming on nice and strong, signed to a great deal next few few years oliver killington these guys are players man what are you gonna do nothing just grind my teeth and yeah i know cloud or something i know but at least oilers are doing well i'm sure that makes you happy why would that make me happy not that it upsets me but no but but just you know to see mcdavid and drysidel actually having some success They've always beyond had successes. The well, other beyond, an, in, beyond an individual level, I mean. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I'm just busting balls, but yeah, it's. I would be. I would be happy if the Oilers won the division. I guess happier than I would be if Vegas won the division, which they still might, I suppose. Yeah. But they're <laughs> they got a long way to go. I'll tell you, third place seems real, real open, like it we thought open. it would be. Yeah, it is open. I don't. I don't. I don't believe San Jose is is that good yeah, at know, all. I keep thinking that, but they keep doing it. They're in every game. I, yeah, but I mean, look at the, their goal differential is a plus three now. Their record is six and four. I don't know. I feel like something's going to catch up with them. Perhaps the fact that James Reimer is their goaltender is is where I'm waiting for the bottom to fall out. Aaron Dell getting a lot of starts, actually. Yeah. He's even man. This... Van- Vancouver, uh, at least I was kind of right about them not being too great. When yeah. Everyone was predicting they were. So it is absolutely wide open. I mean, I think Calgary, we have to consider them now a true threat mm-hmm. for a top two or three spot. And you know Vegas is going to turn it on, man. You know, you know it's coming. It's a long season. It's a long season, man. It's a long season. Um, really enjoying Winnipeg, like I always do. Uh, Colorado having some tough days. Yeah, a, a mere five hundred team at this point, but I think once they get, I think their back end is kind of shaken up. I think. Devon Taves not being there is hurting them far more than anyone would anticipate. Right. Ultimately, they they play in a favorable division, right? Anytime you got Chicago and Arizona at the bottom there, 
you know, you're doing, you're going to be okay. You got some bottom feeder teams you can, you can kind of get through, but it, it does make things interesting regarding the wild card spot now that some of these guys, some of these teams aren't just busting out the doors doing well. Yeah. Um, Toronto second place with a six, four and one record. <laughs> they're, they're, they're figuring it out though, man. They, they're yeah. on a good one right now. Four That's, straight wins. Dude, that's a team. You want to talk about like the metrics kind of showing that they should be way better than their record is? That's yeah. Toronto. I think they at some point all those guys, despite all the offense, they were their shooting percentage as a team was like three and a half percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Austin Matthews could shoot three and a half percent with his eyes closed. Like so. <laughs> you know who I've liked a lot is the Rangers. What's not to like? They're humming right now. There you go. Gerard, baby. Gerard's got him going. He's got it. He's, it's just it's a good team, man. They it's are a good, good team. team. They're going to be a real threat. And that division, Washington, just fine. Columbus, surprisingly good. I think Ovi got his 10th goal today, by the he way, did. to kind of follow up on our conversation last time. Yeah, I think he had a goal and two assists. Easy peasy. <laughs> just another, Just another Thursday. What's he on pace for? Fifty-two. Uh, he's got ten and ten, doesn't he? Oh yeah, he does. <laughs> I don't think he's gonna maintain that pace, but if he gets fifty, there you go. If he gets fifty and fifty, just give him the record. <laughs> just at age thirty-six. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Oh man. All right. Anything Montreal else we should terrible. cover? That's all. Montreal's terrible. Uh, yeah, just throw that in there. We can end every podcast with at least a, a reference of how we badly cannot, Montreal's doing. Dude, they are so offensively impotent. Yeah. Tyler Toffoli, does he have a goal? I, you I'm, would, I'm I feel betting, like you know the answer to this if you're asking. <laughs> honestly, I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like he does not. Cole Caulfield oh, no, has he's, done he's, he has two and four. nothing. He has two and four. Cole Caulfield's in the minors, yeah. buddy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he got sent I know. down. Man. Yeah. Hard so there time. you go. Apparently, Jake yeah. Allen and Montembo were not the goals that answered the Price. Oh, man. Islanders All right. smoked them 6-2 to today. Anyway. Okay. Should we close it off as we always do? The game of numbers? The numbers game? I'm excited for this one because this is like one of my favorite numbers in hockey. Is it? Yeah. It's a good so number. It's, it's a solid number. One of my favorite numbers. And I like when it comes to the Kings, I can think of four right out of the gate. All right. Go for it. There's more than four? There's actually six. Oh, man. It's going to be harder than I thought. Okay. All Jeff right. Carter. Okay. Paul Coffey. Easiest one. That's the easiest one. Okay. Coffey. Sure. I would say Carter is the easiest one. That's what I said. Jeff oh, okay, Carter okay, would be cool. the easiest one. Gotcha. Yeah. He's uh, the longest reigning 77 yeah. for the Kings. Not Paul that. Coffey. Mm-hmm. Start, before you keep going, do you think they retire 77 for Jeff Carter? No. Or ring, ring of Honor it or something? They don't have a Ring of Honor, <laughs> so they would have to create I know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think a Legends Night right. is in, in the bank. Um, yeah. The, the reason is, let me just sidebar is because they're about to retire a lot of numbers and you can't just mm. be going in 
and adding in 14 and 77 and all this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, together. man, man, 14, that would be not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Several players have worn 14 yeah. since he left. Um, yeah. All right. Rod Buskis. So, correct. So that's three. Yes. And I know Rob Cowie. Okay. That's four. Those are the four I knew immediately because it's just such a memorable number. So I'm missing two. And by the look on your face, yes. I'm missing someone important. <laughs> no, I wouldn't no? say so. Okay. But like, it's okay. I'll put it to you this way. Your, your knowledge of Kings players past it far exceeds mine. Um, I've heard of both of these players. I was we've watched one of these players. Interesting. Yes. When you say we've watched you, one one of these yes, players. Yes, I can give you years if that helps. Yeah, that'll help. Uh two thousand six would be the one that we have watched, and nineteen eighty one is the other one. Okay, I'm not going to get 1981. That's a little... Yeah, that was a gleam in my father's eye. I don't think that's... <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to focus on 2006. Do you want me to tell you 1981? Yeah, you could tell me. Okay, Gary Unger. Oh, Unger. See, I told you. Wow. Okay, 2006. Who the hell would wear that in 2006? <laughs> forward or a D? It's going to be a forward. Uh, forward. Yeah. The fact I, that I hesitated should, should give you a hint. Oh, is it one of those dual guys? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do both if I'm feeling it. <laughs> it's one of those, I'll, I'll play whatever the coach tells me to play. Kind of is. is it Brad Norton? Ooh, it's not, but you're on the right track. <laughs> is it Kevin? Perhaps Dalton? this will help. No. He's a seven. Perhaps this will help. Okay. So. He had a different number for years past. And then in 2006, he wore 77. Someone's yelling at me right now. If Jesse yeah. Cohen is listening, it's him. <laughs> uh, probably. And you deserve it. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tap out. Okay, how about this? Let me try this. You really want me to get this? No, no, no. If I if I told you that he wore number twelve between two thousand one and two thousand three, would that help you? Yes, it would because it's Ken Belanger. It is Ken Belanger. <laughs> that, that helped me. And he wore seventy seven. Such an interesting career trajectory because he played pretty consistently between ninety four, ninety five, and two thousand two, two thousand three. And then three-year hiatus. <laughs> Amazing how that number 12, though, did it for me. Interesting. Somewhere deep-seated in your brain. 
There is so much useless information in here. Just yeah. All right, man. Well, there you go. So this is clearly the Ken Belanger. Hell no, man. I think it's obviously the Jeff Carter episode yes. with the honorable mention to Paul Coffey, but I would like to go off the wall and make this the Marion Gabrick episode. Oh, because he has officially retired from the. NFL. He has. I appreciate that. Thank you. And Thank you. Not, well, I know it's not for you. Oh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's 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 partly for you. I know he was your favorite player growing up. Um, officially retired. Just like a meteor, <laughs> just a, f- a beautiful comet. <laughs> just came and went. Yeah, meteors don't go away. Do they? Meteors crash <laughs> they, they just... and they explode on contact and okay, kill dinosaurs. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta brush up on my astronomy. Definitely a comet, <laughs> a shooting star. That's right. Know, whatever. But what are in a short period of time? Just a wonderful impact. We'll never forget you in 2014. Obviously, 14 goals, eight assists, 22 uh, points in 26 playoff games, I believe. Mm-hmm. Some clutch goals. Outscoring goals. Wayne Gretzky or tying Wayne Gretzky in goals for his 93 run. Con Smythe worthy numbers, without a doubt, from Aaron Gabrick. Just one of the many beautiful trades Dean Labardi made before he completely lost his mind. <laughs> no, well, well deserved. Well deserved. And I'm, again, I, we've talked about this before, but. I think it, it's rare to be able to have your favorite player not only be traded to your team, but win a cup with your team and not just be on a passenger on that team, but like be a, a, a valuable contributor. Uh, I, I can't be happier than to have, to have, to have been able to witness that. And, uh, he's, he's doing well for himself. He's got a podcast. I don't speak. <laughs> check i wish i did because apparently apparently they have a grand old time all right thank you thank you oh one more thing i had to get in because i mentioned uh K- katie strang that's the other reporter who uh really her and rick west had really stayed on this thing and they and they broke open despite the nhl's and the chicago blackhawks best efforts to bury this story so kudos to them so, uh, thank you everyone for listening again we're going to be back hopefully in our usual two to three week time span who knows what the kings will do in that time might be happy might be sad <laughs> stay tuned uh, podcast is available on pretty much every platform we appreciate any ratings we appreciate you subscribing we appreciate the twitter banter as always it's been a lot of fun and we're going to keep it going until next time you've been listening to the bannerman an la kings podcast 